Ellen Fisher produces The Armchair Urbanist, a YouTube series about urban planning, transportation, and history, primarily focused on North America. He had the unique experience of growing up in a walkable American small town, and this contributed to his interest in cities and urbanism. Where did you grow up? So unlike a lot of people in the United States, I actually grew up in a very walkable town. And I'm extremely lucky to have, I guess, that background because it kind of makes me a little bit more optimistic about how we can manage things. I grew up in South Jersey, kind of sort of between two towns, but they're essentially one. It's just New Jersey is affected by what we call borough-itis, where most towns and municipalities have tiny plots of land and they're all next to each other. I grew up in two towns, one called Pittman and one called Glassboro, New Jersey. Pittman, I've made a video about in the past, but it's actually really interesting. It was a vacation town in the early 1900s, specifically around Protestant church-related stuff. And people would come from Philadelphia, ride the train into this town, and then has a cool, typical American Main Street downtown. But the neat thing that it really had, and I didn't realize was very unique about the U.S., was it has a neighborhood that is mainly houses roughly a thousand square feet or less. And then there's a section of streets in this neighborhood that have no cars on them. So you can only walk through the neighborhood. You cannot drive. And this neighborhood is called the Grove. The one neighborhood specifically in the Grove that's no cars is arranged in roughly a circle or octagon looking shape. And all the streets through it are like radial. And the streets, I'm putting in quotations, are sidewalks, essentially. That was very unique. And as a kid, I never realized how unique that was in the US. And as I grew up, my mom, I mean, she's probably the one that got me into this stuff originally, because every time I would ask my mom, like, why do we live here? Why don't we live somewhere where there's maybe slightly newer houses or like a new development or something like that, just because like the conversation would come up or something. And my mom would always tell me I wanted to live somewhere where there was sidewalks where I could walk downtown. And I always took that to heart, but I never like thought much into that eventually. I didn't go to Pittman High School. I went to the Glassboro High School and Glassboro is a very similar town. It's actually a college town. So a good portion of the town has pedestrianized walkways and everything where it's just for the college. And Glassboro's actually done a really good job with redeveloping their downtown to make it more dense, walkable, and specifically a lot more mixed use, which is very cool. It's kind of weird that I grew up in between these two towns. But from there, I went to college in North Jersey at Rutgers. New Brunswick, and there they have the Northeast Corridor, which is where all the busiest rail corridor in the United States is. And from there, I kind of got more interested in the transit side of things and then slowly delved into, I guess, all the urban planning and transit topics from there. How did that experience of growing up in that walkable community and having that opportunity to walk to places growing up impact you going forward? Yeah, so I think it especially hit me when I went to college and I started talking to people about how they grew up. Because when I grew up, I thought it was pretty normal to walk to school through, I think it was grades four through six, and then all of high school, I walked to school. And I thought that was pretty normal. Otherwise, I took the bus like most normal kids or maybe got dropped off once in a while like most normal kids. But for about half of my elementary career, I walked to school and I always thought it was odd that other places in the U.S. had these weird car pickup lines or people get dropped off or specifically like you couldn't walk to school like that just wasn't possible. So when I went to college, I started talking to more people and more of their backgrounds and how they lived and how they grew up and stuff like that. And I realized that this wasn't very common. So I guess that's what sort of forced me to start thinking about a lot of these urban planning related topics. 
What was it that then made you decide to pursue that as a career path? So this kind of happened like accidentally. I was studying at Rutgers mechanical engineering. And unfortunately, I didn't have the most normal college career because I got pretty sick during that time. It was an autoimmune disease. And eventually I got a surgery for it. Kind of took a little bit of time out of me studying. And during that time when I was recovering, I was pretty interested in the urban planning and transit topics. I already edited videos and did a lot of video editing and related content at this point, but it never took off. It was never interesting. It was never something that was very constructive, more just fun, artsy videos that I would do on the side. So around the time I was recovering from the sickness, I was like, well, I really like this urban planning stuff and I do decent video editing. Why don't I try to make some things around this topic? And I made three videos. One of them somewhat took off. It was about sort of light rail versus buses and which is more effective. And those kind of sat there for a year as I went back to college and did the normal thing. And then some guy emailed me in like late 2019 and said my series, which is the Armchair Urbanist fan mail, and was like, hey, I really like your stuff. Are you ever going to make more of these? And then I felt bad. And at that point, I was also thinking about doing another one anyway, because one of them got a little popular. So I started writing another one. It was about the local commuter rail system in the area around Philadelphia called SEPTA. And as I was writing that, the pandemic hit in early 2020. And in March of 2020, I was like, well, I don't really have any excuse to do anything else now because I can't really do anything besides online school and this basically. So why don't I try making a video a month and see where it goes? And that's sort of how the series took off. So it was kind of accidental. I took some urban planning courses in college just because like I was interested in it, but nothing more than sort of like your basic intro stuff. And with one of the courses, actually, during that time, I did a video for that course. You can actually go back and find it. I think it was the Pittman video. So it was sort of like I was interested in it and I accidentally got into it because of the videos and I sort of just doubled down on the fact like hey I really enjoyed this stuff and this is really meaningful to me why don't I just try this for a bit and yeah kind of panned out. Were you surprised at how those videos really took off? It was a mixture. I've sort of seen friends have success online before, and I sort of knew that if you make higher quality content or aim for something that's like meaningful and you do it consistently, generally you will see a following gather beneath you, or I guess online following you. And the thing that I find interesting is that there wasn't at the time many people covering the niche of transit and urban planning, specifically urban planning. Some transit stuff and some railroad train stuff you'd see here and there. But for the most part, there was definitely a very big hole in the niche that people wanted to learn about this stuff. And I think that like during the pandemic, it really blew up. And so I think I got lucky to ride the beginning of that wave. And there's a few other creators around that time that also had their channels blow up at the same time, I think, like City Nerd or Not Just Bikes. It was a very interesting time during the pandemic because I think a lot of people were at home and they were watching urban planning stuff because they're like, oh, why does my neighborhood kind of suck because I'm stuck here? I'm stuck at home. Why does my neighborhood suck compared to like this place? How's it different, et cetera, et cetera. And like everyone wanted a little bit of escapism or wanted a little thing to be passionate about when they really had nothing to do. So I think there was a mixture of those things. I think that it was filling a niche, the pandemic, and just uh, if you produce consistent content online that is generally useful, I think people will really appreciate that and follow you.
I've noticed in your videos that you tend to take a fairly optimistic view of things. And I think that's in contrast to a lot of content out there that tends to see the United States as being kind of a lost cause when it comes to urbanism. Why is it that you feel like there's a lot to be optimistic about? And why do you choose to focus on that in your videos? This is something that often comes back to me in different facets, because I think obviously there's certain creators that we know that are not very positive about North America in general. But I don't think that North America is doomed, actually far from it. I think North America is a place of continuous change. And sometimes the change can be bad, but generally it's been one of the places in the world that's been able to reshape itself or reimagine itself in the most different ways than anywhere else in the world has been before, not only culturally, but also physically. And with that, I think that we're always able to change for the better and also able to change our built environment for the better and to change it substantially, especially in some areas. And I think that even if Europe or some other places in Asia are ahead of us, I say ahead in quotations because it's all arbitrary kind of, even if they are ahead of us in how well they've done urban planning, it's that unless it's some Asian cities, there's no other cities that have really changed more in the last century than North American cities. And so I see that ability to change and that ability to reshape ourselves as a good thing. And even though Europe has generally better public transit and walkability and general, I guess, urban planning, I also see that like Europe, it's a bit harder to change those cities in the long run. And in the US and North America, I see that our cities can be reshaped or reimagined a lot more easily than I think most people have ever considered. And along with that, I think that like generally we're on a wave right now of people that want to move things in a better direction. I think that a lot of people are looking online, they're looking at other cities around the world and they're being like, why don't we have that transit system? Why don't we have those inner city trains? Why don't we have better walkable streets? Why can't I go to the grocery store without a car? Why are these things available elsewhere? And I can't do that here. And I think that it happened before here in the US. I think the 90s were the big turnaround point when a lot of people started questioning, I think, a lot of this stuff. But I really don't think it's picked up until the pandemic or quite recently. I think the younger generations, especially Gen Z, they don't really see a reason to drive as much as a lot of the older generations did. And I think part of that is because of Lyft and Uber and also just because cars are expensive and various other reasons that make it difficult to want to get into car-based lifestyles. And I think because of that, they're very annoyed with the fact that why do I need this in the first place? And that leads you into the urban planning space where it's like you question all of this stuff and then you look up all this stuff and you get annoyed and angry that you don't have these things or you're stuck in a car sort of based lifestyle. So I think those two things mixed together, I think the sort of wave of urbanism that's happening and I think also North America's ability to change itself is my two reasons why I'm very hopeful about this future. What are some of the changes that you're seeing now that most encourage you? Well, the big one that happened recently, and I kind of knew this would happen, is that Amtrak and a lot of the inner city rail stuff is going to have its biggest investment and expansion in the last 60 years. Because the last time we really saw a good inner city rail network in the United States, I would say was probably mid 60s and before. And then after the mid 60s, we lost a lot of stuff. We continuously lost stuff probably until the 90s. And then things kind of settled and have stayed roughly the same since the 90s and have gotten slightly better, I would say. But now with 
the Biden administration putting a lot of money into rail transit and with the new expansion plans of Amtrak and some private companies like Brightline, it's really impressive to see the future network that we're going to have. It's not anything insane, kind of like the Chinese high-speed rail network, but it's also going to fit and mold a lot of places that never had good rail transit in the last half century into places that people might actually enjoy living because you might necessarily not need a car to go between certain local cities and places nearby. There are many other things, like I think bikes becoming a lot more a force for good and e-bikes becoming a lot more popular and people wanting bike lanes and bike infrastructure in all cities around the country. Certain cities obviously doing a lot better than others, like Minneapolis and Seattle are probably the best examples of bike infrastructure cities or building bike infrastructure. And then there are other places where transit in general, local transit is just getting better. Seattle is another good example. Local transit's gotten a lot better in the last few decades. And then we're seeing a lot of ramping up of new projects in different cities and wanting to build new transit projects and build better transit projects. I think people used to make fun of LA for a long time for not having transit or not having good transit at all. But we saw in the last, I think, year or so, LA was in the top three for highest transit riderships in North America. So it's getting better. And I think that a lot of people oftentimes don't see the good things because they're looking so hard for the bad things. But I'm very optimistic because of those few things. You live in Philadelphia. What is it about Philadelphia that attracted you to settle down there? So there are a few cities that I really, really enjoy in the U.S. I would say Chicago, Philadelphia, New York City, and maybe a few other local cities in the Northeast that I enjoy. And I enjoy them for various reasons. One is because here in Philly, the streets are relatively narrow throughout most of South Philly Center City and most of the closer northern neighborhoods around Center City. And because of that, it makes walkability very easy because since the streets are only two to three car wide in some places, it makes crossing the street very easy and it makes not having to think about, I guess, taking your time or avoiding certain roads very easy because there's not many wide roads in Philly. So walkability wise, it's definitely one of the best. It has a decent transit network. It's not anywhere near as good as New York, but I can comfortably live here without a car and get to most places around the city or in the suburbs with transit, either with buses or trains. But the two things that really sold Philly for me was one, my family is still nearby. They're still in South Jersey. So having family nearby is always a big thing. And then the other thing was that Philadelphia culture and sort of the mentality here compared to a lot of places I appreciate. I'm a very brash and blunt person in general, and my personality doesn't mold well, I guess, with certain other places. Certain other places in the U.S. are more reserved or judgmental silently versus here where people, if they don't like you, they'll pretty much tell you immediately, <laughs> which is good and bad and doesn't fit with a lot of personalities of certain people. But I appreciate that. And I appreciate sort of the Northeastern kind of grizzled facade of a lot of people here. It definitely is one of the more, I would say, real American cities, which I don't think there's many of because most places have been kind of desperate decimated by car infrastructure. And then the culture has kind of been spread out for a lot of places where Philly still has very dense pockets of different culture throughout it, similar to New York City. So I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate how unique a lot of the culture is in the city. And of course, having a 
lot of friends here too, because I think even if urban planning is incredibly important and it's incredibly important to have all those different things, at the end of the day, most people move places because of family and friends and having a lot of them here makes living here very fun. So yeah, that's sort of the reasons why I decided to live here in Philadelphia, other than I love this city and will defend it, even though I'm the biggest hater of it. I feel like when you love a city, that's one of the things that goes along with it is also seeing the negatives and being able to recognize both of those things. Yeah. The saying that is very popular here is two things, which is that Philadelphians hate Philadelphia more than anyone else. And that Philadelphia is not as bad as Philadelphians say it is. <laughs> Those two things are very, very true. And if anyone online makes a video about our city and sort of says like, oh, these are the bad things about it. Most of the time, our response is one, we know. And two, you screwed up the essence of what makes this bad. Because yeah, you might have like trash on the streets or you might have homelessness. Like Kensington is specifically known in Philadelphia to not be the best, but most people often miss the political problems or the actual issues for the obvious visual issue. And like everywhere, it's like we're just frustrated that a lot of people don't quite understand why certain things look the way they do or they work the way they do or the politics have been difficult about certain things. Every place is like that where someone tries to bash something and then you have to explain basically like, oh, how should I explain this in five minutes uh, for the last like 100 years that have affected the politics of this specific thing? So every time someone's like, what's the problem with Philadelphia and like how to fix this? I'm like, well, how much time do you have? That's the main issue. I can relate to that. Living in Chicago, we have a lot of similar dynamics where we know a lot of the challenges and then there are outsiders who come in and try to tell us what the challenges are and oftentimes don't really have that nuanced understanding. Yeah. And I would say with culture, politics, and I would say vibes, Philadelphia and Chicago are the most similar cities in the United States when it comes to those things. New York doesn't really have an equivalent. Los Angeles doesn't really have an equivalent. But Philadelphia and Chicago are very similar, both with the age of the things in them and also with sort of the culture and the people that exist and, I guess, interact with each other. I think they're the most similar. So whenever someone asks me, like, hey, if I like this place, where should I go? I'm usually like, well, if you like Chicago, go to Philly, or if you like Philly, go to Chicago. Check those either or out. How do you think Philly has managed to remain such an affordable city, even though it does have a lot of good urbanism and a lot of opportunities? So there's two things with this. One is that like a lot of American Rust Belt cities, and I'd say Philadelphia has a little bit of Rust Belt in it, it at one point had a higher population than it does now. So with that, there is a lot of abandoned lots and there is a lot of places where you could fit more housing easily in Philadelphia because at one point we had 2 million people. Now within city boundary, we only have about 1.6 million. And with that, we have a lot of land and extra space for people and for extra buildings for us to build. But obviously buildings aren't built instantaneously when people arrive. So we do have to have some policies to help build new construction and new buildings pretty quickly. Some things that have helped with that is that in the late 2000s, early 2010s, there was some really, really big overhauls in the zoning policy and zoning codes of Philadelphia. A few of these helped with row homes, which row homes are essentially condo buildings that are connected together with a shared wall or something. Most of them in Philadelphia are made with brick masonry, but we have a lot of row homes and some of them get knocked down. And when they get knocked down, there's a lot usually left in between. 
we had a lot of those abandoned lots. So we streamlined the process to allow for people to build row homes again and not necessarily need parking for them either. So we haven't eliminated parking minimums, but we've eliminated parking for a lot of zoning lots throughout the city. So that streamlined a lot of the process for new apartment buildings. Other things we've done is removed a lot of the parking requirements for certain zoning areas, especially if you're near transit. There's this new neighborhood. Well, it's not new, but there's a lot of new development in it in this neighborhood called Northern Liberties. And Northern Liberties is between two metro stops on the Market Frankfurt. And it also has a ton of bus service too. But along with this, they were actually able to put a bunch of new apartment buildings nearby in Northern Liberties that don't necessarily have as much parking as housing. Like there's a new apartment building going up on Spring Garden that I think has 355 units and only about, I think, like 70 parking spots or something like that. So we're getting a lot of buildings like those where, yeah, they do have some parking, they have underground parking or something like that. But for the most part, the building construction development corporations or whoever developer building the building doesn't have to worry about the land for parking as much because of these zoning changes that happen in the 2010s. This was largely led by a decent urbanist collective even back then, which was very impressive. There was this one guy, his name was John Geating. He was the one that led this effort back in the early 2010s. And that's largely what shaped Philadelphia's housing market today. It's kept the prices relatively low because we've been able to build a decent amount of housing stock to keep up with demand because of these changes. And so I'm able to live in actually a place pretty close to the center of the city, and it's not that unreasonable of rent. And I'm only able to do that because of new developments. As someone who lives car-free in Philadelphia, what is your experience like? What are some of the positives and what are maybe some of the friction points of living car-free there? So I wouldn't say friction points. I would say largely the issues here is that you just have to sort of plan your trips a bit more if you're going further out. If I want to go over to Jersey and visit friends, I'll generally suggest places that I know are very easy to get to using like the Patco high speed line or some specific route that I know I can get in and out of very quickly. And usually I'll just be the one that plans events for me and my friends because A, I've always been that person. I've always been the person that plans and organizes friends events or family events. So for me, it's just more of a planning thing than anything else. It's like, I just have to make sure that like I plan ahead for a lot of these things. And as long as you plan ahead, it's usually not that big of a deal. Sometimes things can get a little annoying, just like any sort of commute of anything. Maybe a bus doesn't show up or a train gets delayed or canceled. But for the most part, you'll get those same annoyances as getting stuck in traffic or your car having a mechanical issue. Honestly, for how much hate SEPTA gets, SEPTA has been incredibly reliable for me. And it's surprising to always hear the amount of problems that people seem to have with SEPTA. But it's always that situation of like, hey, that person might miss the bus once and get to work late once. And then they're forever pissed off at SEPTA because of that or whoever the operator is. But for the most part, I've had a pretty consistent experience here in Philly, even with our mediocre to best transit, I would say. For me, I live on one of the more frequent bus lines that comes every 10 minutes. And honestly, as long as I know the amount of time it takes to get to a certain place, I've never had issues because I can pretty reliably rely on the fact that there's a bus coming almost every 10 to 15 minutes at max. And how is Philly as a cycling city in your experience? Philly as a cycling city is a mixed bag. 
We have some bike lanes and a lot of them are inadequate. Philly has a council prerogative system of governance, meaning that we technically have the same city government that sees over the whole city, but there's technically council members that oversee certain parts of the city and they can control a little bit more about how things happen in their parts of the city. Certain council members are a lot more urbanist than others. For example, Mike Squilla, who oversees the eastern half of Center City and a lot of South Philly, he's very urbanist, generally inclined. He's the one that's helping build a lot of the stuff in Northern Liberties. He's helping a lot of the bike lanes happen over there. And he's generally very pro-development and generally pretty okay with how car infrastructure gets handled versus like bike and train, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have council members like Kenyatta Johnson, who have been an absolute pain in the neck to deal with all the time with making concessions about bike lanes and parking in bike lanes or just canceling them in general. He's been absolutely terrible at when roads have redesigns like Washington Ave. I wouldn't say it's a strode, but it's a larger road in South Philly. When Washington Ave got redesigned, the half that was in Squillow's district was really good. And then the half that was in Kenyatta Johnson's district was terrible. The bike lanes basically didn't change from being paint on the road to anything else. The parking and the lines in the road remained pretty much the same. The safety of the road itself did not change in his district. And if there's anyone that needs to be swapped out for someone else, it's him. But the thing with that is that generally Philly bike infrastructure and stuff like that can change wildly from side to side in the city. It highly depends on where you are. And that's kind of frustrating. The only thing that I find nice about Philadelphia is that since the streets are so narrow in majority of the city, you can reliably ride with traffic and not have too much of an issue. And I know that some people are not too keen on doing that for obvious reasons, but since the streets are so narrow, people rarely want to drive above 20, 25 miles an hour. And if you are okay with being around cars at that speed, generally you'll be fine. I ride an e-bike that helps me keep up a little bit. And that makes it a lot easier the fact that the roads force cars to go slower. And oftentimes because the roads are so narrow and because there's these choke points throughout the city, you'll get traffic and you'll get backups. And like half the time riding a bike is so much faster than driving because these cars will just get stuck at multiple lights and back up between them. And you can just kind of zip around them on a bike. So it depends largely on what I'm doing in the city and where I'm going in the city. But biking and transit are very reliable for me. Obviously, I'm a taller white guy. So my experience probably differs very much from many of my other friends that are either not white, not a man, and not tall. So I always take that into consideration. But for the most part, I know many, many friends and people that really enjoy biking in Philadelphia, even though we don't have the best bike infrastructure. So if we ever do get better bike infrastructure like Seattle or like somewhere else in Europe, I think that Philadelphia will not only be one of the best cities for biking, but it will be the most conducive with it because of how our street layout is and how everything is very small and narrow. In closing, what are some of the things that you are most hopeful about in terms of Philadelphia's continued evolution going forward? I'm very hopeful at the fact that if you look at statistics for who's moving here, it seems like a lot of the people that are moving here are older Gen Z millennial ages. And it seems like that's a huge wave of people. And I'm really excited for the progressive politics and the progressive sort of urban planning that will probably happen in the next decade because of this huge voting block that is moving in. And most of them are all moving to like certain parts of the city, like Northern Liberties, for example, where all the housing is being built. But it 
it is becoming a city of generally younger people because it's so affordable and because it's very culturally trendy, I guess, to move here. There's a huge art scene here that's really impressive to watch. And there's also a few different things that make it so that a lot of people are interested in seeing Philadelphia as a city with culture and a city that's fun versus just being like, oh, Philly's dirty or something like that. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited that with these new politics and everything like this, transit funding and a lot of stuff like it is coming. Even though a lot of people like to be a little bit down or a doomer about some of these things, I think that even if SEPTA might be struggling in some facets, I see a very, very bright future for our transit system and a lot of the surrounding things in Philadelphia. So I see a city with probably some of the most potential in the country, if anything. And it's if you're willing to wait a few years, I think you're going to see a lot of good outcomes. But always remember to vote. That's one of the main things I always tell young people, obviously. Thank you for taking time to talk. It's really been a pleasure hearing about your passion for Philly and about cities in general. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And like I said, I'm the biggest Philadelphia hater, but also the biggest defender of this lovely city.